all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. You're listening to a podcast of Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Good morning. This is Relatively Speaking, the show all about you and your family. And I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. So sexual orientation is not a mental illness and not a choice. Sexual orientation is a natural part of who a person is. I think a lot of people have difficulty understanding this, and some have difficulty even accepting it. But today we'll talk to two professionals, Dr. Gabrielle Banks and Dr. Nicholas McAfee, both who are in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And they'll help us understand the struggles that those in the LGBTQ community endure, or may endure, not all, um, but they can include rejection, mental health issues, and certainly bullying has been a huge part. We also have Dr. Rob Hill, who's here just for a few minutes, and he's going to pop off and hopefully be able to come back on. Yeah, he's on the line right now. Dr. Dr. Hill, um, will you please just introduce yourself and tell people why you've jumped on the line, too? Thank you so much, Jane, for having me. I am. Uh, I'm not Dr. Hill. I'm actually Reverend Hill, uh, formerly in my, in, my pre- in my previous life. But uh, thank you for that upgrade. <laughs> but it, it, it's nice to be among a bunch, a lot of professionals who do great work. Uh, but thanks for having me on your show. But yeah, I'm the state director for the Human Rights Campaign in Mississippi. I tell people I didn't leave the ministry. I just got a larger congregation, and we advocate for LGBTQ people in Mississippi at the Capitol, at, at municipalities, and in, in churches and schools, wherever we can to make life better for LGBTQ people. So uh, this is a topic that I that I deal with daily, and um, and it's all also something I deal with personally as a gay man and uh, who's lived in Mississippi all his life. And so um, I, I thank you for taking on this topic today, and, and, I, and I would love to offer any kind of resources or, or help that uh, would be beneficial. Well, thank you, and I know you've done a lot of good, and I know you're up at the Capitol a lot trying to defend and help protect <laughs> individuals. Defend, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you've walked the walk, and you know the struggles that that our LGBTQ community has had to go through. And, you know, not that, you know, we've I've got a lot of close friends who have had to deal with this over their lives. And being an older individual, I I saw the struggles that many individuals had, though they still continue not as bad. But right. um, 
So Reverend Hill, and by <laughs> the way, you wrong. call me Jane, my cousin, who oh, I so love. No, no, <laughs> no. Jane is a brilliant lawyer, and I, I love having her as a cousin. So, um, well, Susan, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, no. I, you, you both are great. Uh, uh, it wasn't a bad mis- mistake. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. In fact, she connected me with you today. Yes. So I know you have other responsibilities. Um, uh, Reverend Hill, but what I would like for you to do is go do what you need to do, and then, if you will, toward the end of the show, come back and perhaps maybe you can share uh, resources as questions come up. Um, but do you have anything you want to share right now? Yeah. Well, if I'm not able to join, I'll just say that you can go to our, our website, hrc.org, and we have all resources that are absolutely free. And one of those, you know, talking of, I know you reference children and coming to terms with sexual orientation and families come into terms with that. We have an all-children, all-families program that's vast um, that offers resources around coming out and support and things like that. We also have a welcoming schools program, um, and we have professionals who help to create an inclusive and uh, diverse environment, and uh, and so that for for children especially and youth. So please go to those resources and uh, and utilize them. And 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 I'm always available. Um, to my name, my, my uh, email is rob.hill at hrc.org, and I'm always willing to to help. Wonderful. Well, we appreciate that, and we'll put it on the podcast. So those of you who can't listen to listen to the entire show or want to review it, um, don't forget you can download um, your favorite podcast and listen to to Southern Remedy um, on, on your favorite podcast. Um, so we'll talk about that more later. And thank you so much, Rob Hill, for calling in and all the good work you do. Thank you. See you. All right. Take care. So um, I want to go ahead and and bring in Dr. Banks and uh, Dr. McAfee. Hello to both of you, and thank you for joining us. First, Dr. Um, Gabrielle Banks, uh, you are the Director of Education in the Department of Psychiatry, is that correct? I am the Director of Education at our teen clinic, um, which is the uh, uh, holistic um, clinic for healthcare and the LGBT community um, here at UMC. Thank you. And and Dr. McAfee, Nick, um, you are the director of mental health, is that correct? Yes, at the teen clinic as well. At the teen clinic as well. And so I know that you guys see a lot of of individuals who come in and who perhaps are struggling maybe with their sexual identity or maybe with something else. And so I want to go ahead and, and throw out a few questions to you. And then, listeners, I would... I would love for you to call in. You've got two experts who can answer your questions. So give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's 877-672-7464. You can send an email to it, it, um, family at mpbonline.org. So, so the first thing that I wanted to throw out is what do you do when, what should a parent do when they say, I think I might be gay or, or lesbian or trans, um, but I'm not sure and I don't know what to do. Um, 
what what would be an appropriate response for a parent? Well, um, that is a um, simple answer that is hard to put in place, or maybe even the answer isn't as simple. Um, the first thing that we uh, that we all we want all families to do, um, regardless of, of when, of, regardless of the the nature of the of the difficult conversation that they may be having with their children, is to lead with love um, and and lead from a place of um, lead from a place of openness to understanding um, and openness to helping your child explore. If a child has come and said, "I think this is something." Um, that I, I, I think this is something that's going on, or I think that I identify that, that this way, that means that the child is open enough to including their parents in their self-exploration, which should signal to the parent that they're doing something right um, because that child is, is comfortable or that teen is comfortable sharing that in the first place. Um, and then the challenge for parents is to... Um, is to make sure that they are sending the message to the child that this is something that you are figuring out and we are here to support you um, to safely uh, figure this out in the same way we support you safely figuring out other things about your life. Um, that would be my first, um, that, would be my, that would be my recommendation for one of the first things that, that come out of parents' mouth. Let's, let's lead with the, with the support and the positivity and the unconditional love that parents have for their children. So thank you for that. Dr. McAfee, I'm going to turn to you. I know a lot of times um, parents always feel like that there perhaps was something that they did or didn't do or should have done, or they allowed their child to do something that they shouldn't have. Um, um, how do you respond to that when, when parents say, what did I do wrong? How did this happen? You know, I think the, the first thing to mention is that it's not at all uncommon, even if parents are supportive of their child's identity to feel this sense of loss or grief and that there's this identity that you had associated with your child and now that in your mind has changed um, and I think really to to hit home the point that you know you mentioned as we opened the segment which is that, that this isn't a choice so therefore there wasn't anything that anyone has done this is just what is. This is who someone is. Just in the same way that, you know, for someone who identifies as straight, you didn't make that decision. The same exact thing, uh, same exact situation with your child. It's not a, a decision. It's not any type of conscious um, problem or concern that came up that caused this. It's not a problem. It's just someone, it's who someone is. It's their own humanity. And so I think that's, it's a long process sometimes to come to terms with that, depending on maybe, um, your ideals, or, <clears throat> excuse me, your ideals around um, sexual orientation or maybe how you were raised or uh, comments that have been made. But at the end of the day, I think it's just one of those things to, um, again, to echo what Dr. Banks said is just even with those thoughts in mind, the most important thing, regardless of where you are um, on that kind of journey of learning and understanding is to listen, um, even if your initial reaction is, what did I do wrong? Um, what's happened here is just to listen. Right, right. Um, and, and I think 
the the more we've learned, I think the more we know that this is not this is not a choice. This is not something that people just decide one day at the age of fourteen that okay, I'm going to be gay because it's cool to be gay. It is something biologic that we know. So with that, I know back years ago there was a huge push for many to um, take them to therapy, um, to see if they could change their mind. Before our first break, I just want one of you to comment on on what you have to say about any kind of therapy when somebody thinks there might be gay. Um, what, what would therapy uh, do, or maybe what would you say not do? Well, firstly, what therapy can do um, is help someone explore a lot of these really difficult things that are coming up for someone, which, again, like you mentioned, it's not the first time they thought of this if they're mentioning it to someone else. Um, so this is something that's been t- churning around for a while. So if, if there's some difficulty with that, of course, seek therapy. Figure out what that means for you. What therapy doesn't do is change how, who someone is. So your sexual orientation, your um, gender identity is who you are. And there's no therapy that can or should change that. Um, there's been a lot of attempts over the years uh, to uh, have individuals seek out that therapy. It's not effective. In fact, what we do know about therapies to um quote unquote, change someone's sexual orientation or gender identity is more often than not, it's actually harmful. Um, So those are the two types of therapy that that have existed and one of which can be very helpful. Right, right. Okay, well, listeners, I want to throw a few questions out to you. Now, I know that you know individuals who perhaps even led secret lives for a while, trying to be quote, part of the mainstream, trying to be uh, a typical heterosexual, perhaps married and had children, and then ended up not being able to live that life um, uh, virtually in the closet forever because it's so stressful and so difficult. And many of those individuals struggle with um, mental health issues due to that. Um, has that happened to you? Do you know anyone? Do you have an experience? Are you worried about somebody? Is there someone you want to communicate? Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's 877-672-7464. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking. We're talking about LGBTQ issues and some of the struggles that those individuals go through. Uh, Many of you out there are struggling right now, so we want to hear from you. Um, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress here with Dr. Gabrielle Banks and Nick McAfee. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress with a Mindful Minute. Children grow up so fast, before you know it, they'll be starting kindergarten. A good way to watch for school readiness is to mark developmental milestones like talking in sentences, counting, writing, and playing well with others. Positive adult-child relationships are key to helping children meet these milestones. You already have the tools you need. Talking, singing, and reading are fun ways to help children learn and thrive. 
One way to celebrate these special moments is to use a milestone checklist. Healthcare providers are also a great resource to help make sure your child's on the mark and ready for the next step. Examples of developmental milestones, fun family activities, and additional resources can be found at MississippiThrive.com. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back, and thanks for listening. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and we are talking about sexual orientation. Um, What does that mean? We're talking about the struggles, perhaps, that individuals who are gay or lesbian have to deal with, or trans or bi, and, and trying to make sure that the bullying that has occurred doesn't continue and people are not allowed to do that, that individuals are protected as they should be, and they should be treated equitably. Um, so... With that, we are going to go to our first caller. We have Charlie from Memphis. Hi, Charlie. Thanks for calling. Hey, Dr. Susan. Glad to call again. Thank you. Tell us what your thoughts are today. Our questions? Well, I have uh, been around the the gay community all of my life and uh, was an activist in that and the women's movement, civil rights movement for years. But I had a really great friend from school to married, had children, and then after quite a number of years, went through that process of coming out. And um, I remember how they struggled and, and went through all of the things that people do when they're in that situation, and then uh, went through the depression and everything. But on the other side of it, the ex-wife, the children, the family, uh, my own family, my own mother, everyone was so supportive mm-hmm. that it turned out beautifully. But I remember the struggles that they had in the very beginning, you know. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, I, I would imagine the the ex-wife even wondered what perhaps she had done wrong. Or how right. how could she have kept him um, with her? And you right. know, again, as as Dr. Banks and Dr. McAfee have both said, um, that that leading with with love and realizing that it's not something you did or didn't do, but it's it's who that individual is. I don't know, um, Dr. Uh, Banks, do you have any further comments to Charlie about that? Um, I, I see that the the struggle. I see the struggle there, specifically when grappling with um, with when grappling with um, homophobia in our community, as well as internalized homophobia. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's very it, it, it's it's heartening, and it is um, a success story to to hear when a community has been uh, has been able to rally around a person um as they are expressing who they are after a very very long time of um of possibly hiding of 
of exploring, of questioning, and that has then that that difficult time for that person has not necessarily come to and might not necessarily have come to an end, but um, to understand kind of the context of why this was even difficult in the first place was because of homophobia in the community and because of some internalized um, negative thoughts about uh, about this type, this identity. And then to see, uh, I think this perfectly illustrates how when you are in a community that is supportive, um, that is actively rejecting uh, homophobia, people are able to flourish. And so even the mental health difficulties that they have experienced were directly related to not being ex- accepted for who they are. Um, and, the, and those are able, there's a relief there. There's a, there's a resolution um, for some of, those, um, some of those difficulties because the environment has changed, not the person. So, right. So, um, Charlie, did the question come about um, why in the world did you wait so long? Why did you? Um, <laughs> I'm sure it did, well, right? You know, because, because I was an activist, uh, I, I, I did that. And my mother would say, oh, gosh, wouldn't it have been so much easier? You know, and I said, of course, but people don't do that always. And, and the wife and the family, let me tell you, if there's a belief in Christian love, those people went way beyond, you know, and understood and accept even to today. It's amazing how the wife and the family supported him in all of his decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, a, it's an inspiration, really. It, it really is. And there are other stories out there just like that, where families rally around and realize that that this is what they need to do. And like you said, it's such a testimony to to the extended family who was able, or the immediate family who was able to rally around and and um, join with love. So thank you for that story, Charlie. That I think is heartening. I know there are many more out there. I have some similar ones. Um, we have open lines. You can call one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. But we are going to stay on the lines. We have um, Tim. Thank you for yeah. calling. So you have some comments about teaching kids. Talk to us about that. Well, kids they have to be taught uh, in all aspects of life, and even with the uh, homosexuality identity, uh, we need to be teaching our kids from from birth. Uh, whether they be male or female, on what they're, on, on, on who they are and who they should be. There's things, you know, I've, I've seen some uh, young kids at the age of two or three with earrings in their ears, young men, and dressed, you know, somewhat in between male and female. Uh, we sometimes, as parents, we create an atmosphere that would allow our kids to, uh, uh, to make go in the wrong direction. And to me, homosexuality is the wrong direction. So as parents, there are some things that we can be doing while they're young. We should be teaching them that you're a young man, you're a young girl, you know, you wear dresses, you tell young boys, you don't play with dolls, you know, give them a little car or something to play with. But the little small things that help them to identify with who they should be is what parents, Uh what parenting is all about. It's not just teaching them right from wrong on this and that. Uh, it's, it's about the whole aspect of training kids. 
So, Tim, let me let me stop you there because there are some really there's a lot of good information out there on what what you really can and cannot do. And um, so this is a really great time for me to get Dr. Um, Banks or Dr. Uh, McAfee to step in. So when does sexual orientation occur? That's one question. Um, so what does it mean if a little boy at three or four-year-old likes to play with dolls or a little girl is most interested in playing with what we call traditional boy toys like trucks or cars? Um, uh, Dr. Nick, you want to take this one on? And um, so, so can you really um, – does that mean anything, number one? And um, and then how does that relate to gender identity, if you could? We have some calls on the line, so if you could concisely answer that for us, I'd appreciate it. Sure, yeah. So I think it all comes down to malleability, and I think that's a lot of pressure to put on yourself as a parent to kind of want to um, raise a child in a, in a specific way because it's really there's just really no control that we have over that. Um, so... When it comes to gender, when it comes to sexual orientation, um, there's really nothing that we know of aside from um, just that kids like to play with toys. And sometimes that has a gendered component to it, and that might mean something down the road, but there's no causality behind it. So what you play with doesn't cause you to be any particular way. Right, right. Um, how Talk to us, though, about gender identification. Identity. How early is it established? Because I certainly have had parents in my clinic bring their children in, and and at a young age, um, five or six, a child may say they wished that they were a boy, or they they feel like they're a boy. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Dr. Butchers, this is a very um, this is a very good question uh, because it also highlights the difference between gender identity and sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. Those are two different concepts. Gender identity is how you identify on the inside, um, whether or not you identify as male, female, or um, or on somewhere on the gender spectrum, anywhere in between. Um, sexual sexual orientation is related to who you are romantically and physically attracted to. Gender identity is it can be solidified as early as the age, as early as the age of three is when we start to see that children are able to consistently recognize their gender identity and the identities of other people. Uh, when you start to see um, see children say, "I am a boy" or "I am a girl." As at that at those early ages, you can also see children who may have been assigned a certain sex at birth based on um, based on their external um, sexual organs um, and based on their genetics. They were assigned a certain sex at birth. You may see children at early ages, as young as preschool age, consistently and persistently identifying as right. a, as a gender that they were not assigned at birth. Right. Um, this is not something that is necessarily, uh, to, to Mr. Bennett's point, he is correct in that we definitely send children messages about gender from the, even before they're born. We paint little girls' nurseries pink. We paint little boys' nurseries blue before they even got into the world. We have started to send messages about gender. 
separately sexual orientation uh, in terms of who people are attracted to, that is generally solidified in later later in childhood, mm-hmm. in early adolescence. Mm-hmm. Um, and so th- those are the two yeah. distinctions there. But I think that Dr. McAfee's point is worth repeating. Um, playing with specific toys does not make anyone gay, lesbian, or bisexual. Right. Thank you for that. Yeah. Okay. We have a few callers I want to get to. Erin in Columbus has a comment about her nephew who came out, but not to parents. So, Erin, talk to us about that. Okay. Um, Thanks for taking my call. Um, A few years ago, my nephew came out to me and um, he did it very unexpectedly, although, you know, it it wasn't a total surprise, but he was young. Um, He was, I think, 12 years old. Um, He might have been 11 even, but he did not want to talk about it with his parents. And that, that may, he he kept that. He did not really want to talk about it. We talked about it. Um, And I I tried to do it obviously secretly with him. And and it all felt kind of wrong because I was keeping this secret from my sister. Um, And I just wanted to hear the professionals talk about that. He has since come out to his parents and they were incredibly supportive um, and, it's, and it's been really wonderful. But I think for other people who really struggle with, with knowing, you know, what to do in that situation, and I certainly don't know that I handled it right, but I would just like to hear, you know, everyone's thoughts on a situation like that and what people are to do in that situation. All right. Well, Nick, do you want to start with that? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, that can be such a hard thing to like to have that knowledge um, and to have multiple people you care about in, in the same situation. Um, I think the word that always comes to mind in the situation is autonomy, you know, uh, respecting an individual's choice to decide um, when they want other people to know that. Um, and that's such a hard thing to do whenever you feel like it's such an important thing for other people to know. But I think um, there, there are a lot of nuances around that, but I think, you know, you being patient, even though you felt like maybe this is something that someone else should know, the fact that you um, kept that confidence is so important. Um, and I think um, that's really one of the most important things we can do is listen um, and not make decisions for other people about their um, disclosing their identities. So, Erin, you did a good thing. You know what? I would say for your nephew, you probably saved him because he you gave him someone to communicate to and to air his feelings to, and you gave him acceptance and probably the confidence to move forward. So, um, good job. Thank you for that call. That was a, a question I think many people had in their minds. Um, I'm going to stay on the phones because we. I want to get to Joe, Dan, and Les. Next is um, Joe from Brook, Brookhaven. Hi, Joe. Thanks for calling. A while ago about when you raise your children, Adam, you know, make them be a boy, make them be a girl. You can't do that. I was raised with a gay man, my brother. From day one, he was different. I mean, from day one, he wasn't like me and my one brother would be out there playing with cars, and he would have the girl playing beauty pads. Yeah. <laughs> right. Asked, right. Yeah. I asked him one day. I asked him one day about being gay. I said, "Did he like it?" He said, "No, I don't." Ask me, did he ask me, did I want to be gay? I said, "No." He said, "Me either," but that's just the way it is. 
He said, what would you rather me be happy or sad? I said, be happy. He said, well, being gay, well, I am, and that's what makes me happy. Oh, wow. You can't mind what I'm saying is yeah. people are born that way. Yeah. yeah you know, ain't none of this. You can't make nobody gay. They don't make no decision when they get older, I want to be gay. No, that's just in them from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. And if you know anybody that you grew up with that is gay, you'll notice as you think about it, they were always there. You know, Joe, you couldn't say it better than any of the other three of us, so thank you for that. That was uh, beautifully said, and it sounds like you're a wonderful brother to to your well, brother. We grew up together, yeah. and one thing I can say about my brother, he was gay, but he wasn't no punk. Fight <laughs> <laughs> that drop of a hat. <laughs> there you go. Drop okay, thank you. Thank you, Joe. That was that was lovely. Um, all right, Dan has been waiting for a very long time. Dan from Meridian, um, you have some comments about overcoming the stigma. Uh, talk to us. Uh, yeah, uh, thank you for taking my call. I have a question, and I don't know if this, if this is the elephant in the room, but at least in my mind it is. Obviously, we live in a state, uh, in a society that in many ways is very conservative, especially in Mississippi, conservative as, as you can get. So I'd like you to turn this on the perspective of how do you answer the, 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 the very conservative people? And we know that, you know, people go to church on twice on Sundays and once on Wednesdays, and they hear pastors, preachers, people that are stalwarts in our society that homosexual homosexuality is, is wrong, immoral. And they'll, they'll support it with passages, uh, uh, with, with verses and stuff. And so, you know, being homosexual is hard enough in terms of dealing with your family members and your friends, but to think that you're going against God's rules and laws, they could point to multiple scripture verses say, look, this is wrong. God is against this. And so in many ways, I think it goes really deep into the person's psyche that, look, homosexuality is wrong because God says so. So I would like to know, and and this is, in my opinion, it goes right down to the core. Um, From a conservative perspective, how do you answer uh, the questions from people who are very conservatives and, and who wants to follow God's rules and laws, and, and they can say, look, here it says right here in Scripture, homosexuality is wrong. So how do you address that, not only from to answer the young person who, who's, who's confused in terms of their sexuality, but to the parents and to the community mm-hmm. in whole that yeah. says, no, this this is wrong. So I'll listen, but thank you, thank you for taking my call. Yeah, Dan, you, you brought up a point that I think a lot of people struggle with. First of all, I'm just going to make a comment. There are There is biologic evidence that individuals who are homosexual um, biologically, in their brains, are a little bit different than the typical male or the typical female. There's some biologic evidence. We know that. You're born that way. Um, so with that, um, Nick and Gabrielle, I know you all both have had individuals that have come to you with those very same comments. So, um who should I call on first? Why don't one of you just jump in? Because I know you've you've been able to come up with some response to that. Um, in terms of uh, uh, kind of understanding what to what to come back with, it's hard because mm-hmm. come back come back um, 
that that suggests that there's going to be a battle here, that, that we're going to change people's views. Um, and you're right. Yeah. One of those, this is one of those um, conversations where you may not change people's views. Uh, but what we can all ask for people to do is to it when they are using faith to justify, uh, use their faith to justify their beliefs. We just, we ask that they, um, that they fully understand that they seek to fully understand their, their faith and ask themselves the question of why is it that my faith uh, justifies my belief in one way or the other way, um, specifically for for Christians, um, there there are passages, there are scriptures in the Bible that condemn a, a host of behaviors, um, and there and and the Bible also talks a lot more about compassion, forgiveness, and love than it talks about that particular condemnation. Absolutely. Um, so when we are, so in terms of having those, those conversations, we're not trying to change people's um, personal beliefs because their faith is something that's very close to them and, and, and can, and can some ways be private and, and other aspects be public, but we ask people to also under, to also seek, seek guidance from that same scripture in terms of how they should treat people who are different, um, in terms of how Jesus treated the sinner, in terms of how um, God loves everyone. So if we're coming from that same book, um, and specifically in whatever your faith book is, if you're a person of faith, seeking to understand how, um, how, how you are led to relate to people um, who are, who are different and what, and how you identify sin as well. Yeah. There's a passage in the Bible too, that says that God created man in in his own image. So I always, I always, um, think about that when people talk about God creating imperfection, then is that what, is it, is it, imperfection is it is it a sin i i just don't think we as man know if you if you look back at the bible um especially in the old testament if you look at it a lot of what was written in the bible was about protecting individuals from disease um eating shellfish um things like that that were a sin um there were reasons for that to protect individuals from getting sick and ill. So with that said, I, I think, you know, the, I, I think what Dr. Banks said um, resonates well with me when, when we're talking about that. And you're right. Um, often you're not going to win an argument like that, Dan. Many times you just have to give the reason that you think the way you do and they can think the way they do. Um, so... Um, let's stay on the phones and we'll take a break after we hear from lawyer from Alabama and, uh, lawyer, I think you have some comments, um, for us about STD. Well, this is just a a comment. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of heterosexual males, normal, and they have, uh, whatever issue that brings them into a correctional facility or a jail. And then while they're in there, they say they're doing what they have to do, and they have relationship with other males. Well, here at the clinic, they're, they're, you know, you broke out with trying to treat all the regular stuff, 
and then you can't always treat everything. You have to override and take some people to the health clinics on Thursday for specific treatments. And when people are in that kind of position and they have that kind of relationship, uh, they go home and they sometimes carry a social disease home to their wife and family. And they don't think that they need to get medical treatment because they don't think that affects them being male with another male. But if it, it is difficult to, to fathom myself, but when they get out of jail, instead of going straight home, they need to be going straight to the health department for treatment before they take these issues home to their family that are unknown to what they've been doing and unknown to what is about to be spread. Just thought I'd throw that out there uh, as a matter of responsibility. And there's a lot of stuff. The jail nurse and paramedics can't do it all. Thank you. Well, thank you for that. Um, Dr. McAfee or Dr. Banks, do you have any comments on that? I just think it just raises the importance of infectious disease and in particular populations. I don't, I don't think that necessarily overlaps with our conversation at all about um, sexual orientation or anything like that, but it is important to think about how infectious disease impacts various populations who might be at more risk. Right. And, and also there are, there are individuals who, um, who may not identify with a specific sexual identity, but have a range of sexual partners based on circumstances. Um, and whether, and, but there is there is stigma related to the, that type of sexual um, that that type of sexual experience, and so in these situations, um, because there is stigma and homophobia in our community, um, individuals who have been who have been incarcerated are may, may feel shame about some of the experiences that they have had, and so they are not taking. Um, that that shame could be a barrier to effective health care um, once they uh, are no longer in that situation. Right. I, I think the main issue is the barrier. And, and Dr. McAfee, I agree with you wholeheartedly that that this really doesn't have anything to do with our conversation other than um, because there has been sort of this cover up of individuals because of the difficulty of coming out, being gay, um, overtly. Many times people don't seek treatment that they should, um, and and so disease is spread. But that happens in the heterosexual community, too, when people feel that they shouldn't have had sex when they did. So I think if someone needs treatment, they need to go to a doctor. That's just all there is. Okay, we're going to go to our next break. And when we come back, I'd, I'd like for us to also touch on some of the issues around bullying um, that um, that the LGBT community has had. And I think we all know that has occurred. Uh, I hope you'll join the conversation. If you have any questions, we've got open lines now. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's 877-672-7464. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress here with Dr. Banks and McAfee. We are talking about issues that have been going on in the LGBT 
LGBT community, how to work with your child, what we can answer your questions. So give us a call. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. Parents are a child's first teacher. Children make connections to the growing world around them through back and forth interactions. Parents and other caregivers can help children learn communication and social emotional skills by talking, reading, and singing each day. More information at MississippiThrive.com. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back and thanks for listening. This is Relatively Speaking. We're talking about LGBTQ issues and um, what to what to do, how to help individuals who perhaps are are struggling with just living the normal life they want to live. And so um, in the last few minutes of the show, I really want us to talk about uh, some of the the bullying issues, um, how you can stand up for individuals when they are mistreated. Um, and so, Dr. Banks, if I could start with you, when we when when your child when your child is gay and um, and you feel like you've accepted it, everything's going well, um, what should you be doing to look for or look for in a sibling or a friend of yours? Uh, what should you look for to know that perhaps something's not going right in their life? Are there danger signs that indicate the need for help, perhaps? Um, you would want to make sure that your child has has social support. So checking to make sure that that your child has a group of friends that is a, that is aware of uh, of their sexual identity, as well as and excuse me, and is supportive. Um, are you noticing that your child has been excluded from um, from certain outings and certain groups? Are you noticing a change in the way that they are um, treated on their local sports team or their local scouting group? Um, and especially, and as well as checking in with your child directly. Have they experienced any any um, any differences or experiencing any negative comments from people at school who are not friends, people within their friend group and siblings? So it is um, the parents' role as the protector to not only check in but also to make sure they're paying attention and they're watching um, how how their child is is being perceived and treated. Um, and making sure that they're they're open they're open to the child talking about big things where people have said horrible things that are uh, that just general people everyone would think are horrible and even small things like microaggressions or snide comments or even even comments that someone made that that were ambiguous that your child um, might have might have been offended by or might have been uncomfortable with and just and un, and sharing with the child that all of those that the discussion is open 
for all of those pieces just to make, because you as a parent are so concerned that they are, um, that they are feeling whole and happy and not necessarily content all the time because that's not life, but making sure that, um, that there are not barriers to them having appropriate and, and supportive relationships with their peers. So give an example of a microaggression. I think the listening audience might want to hear what you mean by that. So a microaggression is, uh, there are a number of different definitions. The definition I use most often is a, is a statement that is made um, that may have been intended as harmless, um, but indeed did um, did cause harm to, because it's related as it's related to a specific group. Um, so a microaggression may be um, when uh, if a young man identifies as gay and someone, well, actually, this is a macroaggression. And someone, <laughs> and someone insinuates that they may want to try on a dress because they're gay. Yeah. That's a um, and that that's maybe the person who is making the statement does not have a clear understanding of differences in sexual orientation and gender identity. Right. It um, maybe it may have been trying to be well-meaning, um, or, or I thought that they were being supportive, but they were um, they were in a, in a sense offending that person or saying something offensive, um, even though it was not, it might not have been a, a, a hateful, a hateful speech, but it is a small aggression. These little things that kind of tick at your identity and tick at, and tick at your dignity right, right. and tick at, and tick at your comfort level. Right, mm-hmm. right. So my recommendation would be to certainly educate yourself. The American Psychological Association uh, website has some awesome information. Um, also, the American Academy of Pediatrics, great information on how we as individuals, we as parents can educate ourselves. Um, Dr. McAfee, thank you so much. Do you have any additional comments? We've got about 30 seconds left. I think the last comment I'll make, and just from the mental health perspective, is um, some, one of the best things you can do rather than, um, aside from asking supportive questions, is to use your ears in these conversations with people, um, not telling people things, but listening to their stories. Um, and like one of our early callers, being an advocate, um, speaking up for other people and listening to them. Great. Great information. And thank you both so very much for being here. And also, as I always say, thank you to our callers. You make the show wonderful information. And if you'd like to hear this show again or any past episodes, you can listen on the podcast um, to the podcast on your favorite podcast app by searching Southern Remedy, Relatively Speaking. This show is a production of MPB Think Radio and engineered by Michelle McAdoo. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and I hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 11 for Relatively Speaking and that you'll stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now, coming up next on MPB Think Radio.